the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're a Christian. You're born again. You've been redeemed. So now what? What does the Christian life look like? Well, if you'll join us for the next couple of weeks, you'll find out. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Pastor Phil Howard, our teacher and pastor, will take us to a brand new series called Living the Christian Life. What does that look like? How do we go about doing this Christian life? Well, those are questions we'll seek to answer as we move along in this series, again, simply entitled Living the Christian Life. Won't you join us with today's broadcast Here's Pastor Phil Howard. Where would I begin if I was going to teach someone the Christian life? Let me tell you, though you've not read it maybe, there was a Reformation in the 1500s. Did you know that up to the 1500s, uh, people worshipped idols? The Roman Catholic Church was the dominant voice of the day. We had very little bit of church outside of Catholicism and bishops and confessional booths, penance, purgatory, uh, the merit of saints. Part of Roman Catholic theology was that Christ, when he died, and every great saint, they formed a deposit of merit so that when you did penance, you could draw off of those merits to get you through. So we went 1,500 years with a whole Catholic system. And then we had men like uh, Calvin who fled from, uh, he was kicked out of Geneva. He really was a Frenchman, went to Geneva, stayed in Geneva. Then they kicked him out of the city of Geneva. So he fled, uh, buried a wife, a lot of suffering. And then you've got a guy in 1505 by the name of Martin Luther that was headed for law school, and he was going through a field, and a lightning storm broke out, knocked him off his horse, and he swore to St. Anne that if he would spare his life, he would enter the monastery and become a monk. That he did. He became an Augustinian monk, a devout monk. Uh, In uh, 1510, he made a visit to Rome, and while crawling the uh, steps there uh, with all these other saints offering penance and prayers, uh, he was overwhelmed with the debauchery he saw in Rome in 1510. He goes back to Germany, and in 1515, uh, he's teaching at the University of Wittenberg. He's already taught Galatians. He's taught Hebrews. He's taught a few other books, but uh, he still doesn't know God. And uh, this verse is the verse that tormented him. Turn, if you will, to Romans 1. 
Now, this is an Augustinian monk sleeping on a uh, uh, piece of plywood, uh, maybe eating once a day, devout to the hilt. And he um, came to this verse that was a um, torturous thing to him. And I went to, uh, I've got a little excerpt of what he said. Let me lay it out here uh, to read to you. Uh, He came to this verse in Romans 1.16 as he's studying it. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, he was reading this from Greek and Vulgate, and this is what he said. It's called the famous tower experience that he underwent. And you can read this in Banton's book, Here I Stand. It's the most popular biography on the life of Luther. He said this, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God. Ours is translated the righteousness of God, but He would have read the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. He did this as a monk. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and NIV and others translate righteousness, but the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. What did he discover? He discovered that in the gospel, a righteousness is being offered to you that you can never get any other way but in the good news. 
God is offering a righteous standing, and I've made it an acceptable standing before him that you could not get. So our gospel, the first place it takes a person is, how can we get you from a wrong standing before God under condemnation? If you die without Christ, you perish. How can a transaction take place in which God can say of you, you are righteous in my sight? Now, this is not only evangelism, it's the Christian life. If this plank is not in place for you, you will be getting saved, unsaved, confused, condemned. You must know this plank. Or you won't even know why you're saved. You'll think you're saved because of your prayer life or um, a number of other things that you will attribute merit of some kind to maintain your status, or you'll stay beat up as a believer and uh, always be going on, I'm not good enough. I'm not righteous enough. I don't know if I could take communion. Uh, I don't know if I'm holy enough to, because you'll keep ascribing it to a thousand other sources other than the righteousness you got through the gospel. Let me read some things to you that uh, uh, Calvin and Luther said. You've got to just read these guys. They were there. You weren't. Uh, like this. There is no such thing as merit. But all who are justified are justified for nothing. Or he gratis. And this is credited to no one but to the grace of God. For Christ alone, it is proper to help and save others with his merits and works. Now, you've got to know, he's saying confessional booths don't do it. Penance doesn't do it. Crawling on steps don't do it. Uh, abstinence from the Pope doesn't do it. Uh, the merits of the saints in this treasure chest, the merits of the saints. He's saying there is no merit from any other source God will accept but the merits of his son. Um, I want to read a section here. Let me read to you what Calvin and Luther said. Calvin said this about the importance of justification by faith alone. By the way, that word alone, the Roman Catholic Church would never accept that. They fought with the reformers over the word alone. They said, a man's justified by faith, but he must keep all seven sacraments. And you only get, you know how the Roman Catholic Church says you're justified by faith? At your baptism. When the baby is baptized, they got justified by faith. But if they commit a mortal sin any time in life, they lose their justification. And the only way to be restored is penance and these merits of the saints. So when the reformers come along, they said, it is by faith alone. It is by Scripture alone. Roman Catholic Church said it's Scripture and tradition. It's Scripture and papal bulls. The reformer says, the authority of our faith is not in councils, papal decrees, but in Scripture alone. 
is like denominational statements to us. They're worthless to us ultimately because we're ruled by Scripture alone. And there's been some great confessions made, the Westminster being the greatest by Scottish Presbyterians. So, he says this, the doctrine of justification is the principal ground on which religion must be supported. So it requires greater care and attention. For unless you understand, first of all, what your position is before God and what the judgment is which he passes upon you, you have no foundation on which your salvation can be laid or on which piety, and we would call that Christian life, holiness, towards God can be reared. If you don't know the basis upon which you stand before God, how can you ever go on to a holy life? You will always have to be reached back and shore up the primary plank. Am I really right with God? I'm not sure. But let's grow in the Christian life. Impossible. You don't have a Christian life if this plank isn't understood. You're a wreck because you don't even know about your salvation. That's why Romans starts with it. Maybe God knew what he was up to writing a book on salvation. Listen to what Luther said. If the article of justification is lost, all Christian doctrine is lost at the same time. If we get an admixture of the gospel and we don't understand how a man or woman becomes right with God, if you get right with God by believing the gospel, uh, giving your money, praying to saints, and five other things, we have just brought an anathema gospel. And that's what gets me with groups, even as I grew up. We were never clear on the gospel. Now, we knew Christ died, buried, and rose again, but we never knew that was enough to purchase a permanent standing before God because we could always lose that standing by what? Demerit. But did we get the standing before God by merit? Well, how could you lose it by demerit? If I never could merit it, I never can demerit it. So all that confusion. Now look at what he says. In the gospel is a righteousness from God that says you can be just or right before God. So the righteous one lives by this faith exercised towards God. Um, Let's fill in the blanks. God offers a gospel that offers a free righteousness. In the gospel is a free righteousness. Um, Two, in the gospel... God offers an alien righteousness. Uh, Alien. Now, what is meant by that? Reformation battle. They battled over two words. Infusion of righteousness, imputation of righteousness. 
Aristotle preceded all this debate with his views. And the Roman Catholic Church said this, God cannot declare anybody righteous unless they are righteous. It would be a legal fiction to declare somebody righteous if they were not inherently righteous. You follow that? So they say, they still say it, they said it in the Council of Trent, and you can read it in the church history book. Uh, I just read Scaff on it. it. It's in the Council of Trent. They've never renounced it. They say that God did a work in you in which he created a righteousness in you. And when he got that righteousness in you, he then says, you're righteous. Because they would say grace made you righteous. They would even give grace that credit. The reformers come along and says, no, 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 no. The righteousness you have by which God declares you righteous is alien to you. It's not your own. It's a righteousness not your own by which God says, you're right in my sight. I see a righteousness towards you that lets me say, you are just in my sight. Where did you get it? The reformers and Paul before them said, it's an alien righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ put to your credit. So that God sees his righteousness over you and God could say, faith has reached out and appropriated Christ. And when you appropriate Christ, his righteousness is put to your credit. God says, you are in the right. The only thing you did was faith embraced Christ and he transferred his righteousness to your account. And that's what we want to look at and just develop. So in the gospel, God offers an imputed righteousness and it's not the recognition of inherent righteousness, which means God has declared righteous people even while they were ungodly. Uh, And you see this. uh, Let's just look at it. Um, Well, I don't want to jump there yet. We'll just go. Let's look at another passage. This gospel is further explained in chapter 3, 21. Look how this righteousness works. But now a righteousness from God, a right standing before God, And if it was a Latin Vulgate, you'd always be getting the word justify, just, justify. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through good works. Comes through inherent righteousness comes through penance. How do you get it? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference 
for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely and just justified, declared righteous. And we're declared righteous freely. That word freely uh, means without a cause in us. Uh, it means, uh, let me give you the A, right standing before God comes through faith and not law. He says that in 21, 22. You're right before God based on faith, not law works. Two, you're declared right freely, and it's without a cause in yourself. So God didn't see righteousness in you and then declared it. It's without any cause in you. Thirdly, you're declared right by grace, freely by his grace. Now, if you get something by grace, how do you, when you didn't merit the gift, how do you lose the gift by demerit? You follow that? If the kid never did earn the $10, you just wanted to be good. It was not a merit reward, but a gift, not wages. Gifts are irrevocable normally, unless you're an Indian giver. And God's not an Indian giver. Um, Keep on here. We're declared righteous based through, through the intermediate agency of the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And redemption just means uh, set free upon receipt of a payment. Redemption, set free upon receipt of a payment. So Christ has made an adequate payment to set you free from the bondage of sin. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, which is our word propitiation. The death of Christ has propitiated God, which has satisfactorily met all of his legal demands against your sins. That must be anchored in your mind. All that God exacts against your sin, your sin nature, your sin acts, Hear me now. Hear me. You don't believe the gospel if you don't believe all of the sins that you've committed were paid for by Christ. Now, do you believe that? Was the payment of Christ enough to satisfy God's holiness against your sin? Yes. So when you're over here in the Christian life and you sin, you blow it, you know, some days we don't have to sin. We are just cranky enough in spirit to be lethal. Just the moodiness of being a sinner. We're subject to moods, negative thinking, grouchiness, grumpiness, and you haven't seen anybody You haven't even had a cup of coffee yet. How does God stand us? I mean it. How does God stand people when you're in his league? I mean, you know, I can't stand snails. I never planned to. Bugetta comes to my rescue. 
And imagine this God stooping low enough to have fellowship with miserable sinners. And yet, all obstacles to that relationship, he is not uptight about you. You are, but he isn't. He's satisfied. There's no no charges against you that he hasn't met. And the only time he's ever going to get you is going to be a family relationship in which he's going to kindly spank you for not following his advice. But all the legal stuff is settled. It's forever settled. And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855-833-9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. Or, again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.